next week or the following, we'll be, we'll be going back to our, our study in the book of Acts, in Acts 18. But we're going to, um, just going to take a moment and, uh, and, and consider, or in the next couple moments we will consider uh, what the scripture has to say about uh, suffering and, and wrong in the world. Because I, I think it's important to, to root and ground uh, our minds uh, in, in the face of local tragedy, and, and uh, we're coming on the week of 9-11. There'll be a, a bunch of news coverage this week, and uh, it, it is important to retain perspective. Uh, so we're going to read and then, and then pray. The scriptures say in Luke chapter 13, there were some present at that very time who told him, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he, that is Jesus, answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, Lord. We thank you that we are free to worship. We are free to give. We are free... Father, because of your grace, which is abundant in our lives, we are are free to love you and to love others who need affection. Father, we lift up this morning a whole group of people who, whether they are beyond knowledge of the gospel, whether they have not yet come to know you or whether they are in the midst of a season where the gospel does not seem clear to them. Lord, we lift up the hurting and those in grief. We think of our sister Jennifer Gooley, who is in Trinidad with her family, mourning the loss of her mother. We think of the families both of this young man who was killed this past week. We think of the family of the shooter. We think of this young girl in the hospital and her family, Lord. All of them are in grief. And despite our emotions of righteousness and justice and wrong, which complicate things, Lord, they are all in need of grace. And the knowledge of your grace. And so we pray for them, Lord. We pray that you would encourage and strengthen and comfort where each is needed. Father, as we move into this week and we observe what is quite possibly the what is the greatest act of war committed against our country in our lifetimes. Certainly in the memory of of most in this room, Father, we want to, to pull back and to think and to root and ground our minds in the biblical perspective. Uh, You see all things, Father, from the beginning to the end. And while you are not emotionally detached and cold looking at history with icy logic, you see things differently than we do. We see right and wrong from a national perspective. We we want punishment and judgment. We want answers for how this could have happened to loved ones. And in the same way, Father, in this town, there are many who are concerned and who are scared 
and frustrated and their world has been undone in some degree by this shooting. Father, sometimes tragedy cuts close to home. There are many, I believe, even in this room who are acquainted with families who are affected by this shooting. We pray that as we turn to your word, uh, though some of the things may be hard to hear, and though from our perspective some things which you have to say will not go far enough, Father, we want to place our hands over our mouth and step back, knowing that we are not perfect, that we, unlike you, we do not do all things well. Our perspective is limited. And at the same time that we can put our full faith and trust in you, that you will do right. Because as we sang, you are good all the time. All the time, you are good and we can trust you. And so, Father, we want to receive the word as an act of worship. We pray that you would speak to our objections. We pray that that you would delight in our satisfaction in you. And that we would be reassured, challenged, filled, undone, corrected, and strengthened by all that we hear. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, it, It only occurred to me later in the week after hearing about what happened close to campus this, this past week, um, that, that this coming week we would uh, celebrate or observe, sorry, celebrate is the wrong word, the, uh, I believe, 12th anniversary of 9-11. Um, we were in Bible study at uh, Brooke Johnson's house on Tuesday night, and a, and a few students uh, had left for various reasons. One left to go to a meeting, and she was back. Uh, just a few minutes later and said, uh, every, everything on campus has been canceled. Um, you know, they've, they've closed down campus. Uh, and I said, oh, that's, that's bizarre. Why? And she said, well, there's been a shooting. Um, and, and at that point, nobody knew what, what really had happened, what the details were. Um, as, as details emerged, um, I, I consulted one of the local blogs where uh, I, I would say um, content may not always be the greatest, but it is probably the the most up-to-date, and, uh, and, and as I, I read the details, uh, concern for, for, for safety, um, sadness over what had happened, uh, but as I, as I began to scroll down through the, through the comments that were made, it, it seemed to me there was a giant exercise in missing the point going on as um, accusations of, of of, of not handling the situation against our mayor, um, criticism of, of our sheriff, um, uh, too soon, too much, it seemed to me. Uh, and, and it occurred to me then as, as, uh, as, as people began discussing what happened to this, to this young woman, who, by the way, we should continue to pray for. Uh, my understanding is, is though she is stable, she is not uh, completely uh, in... in uh, in, in a place where, where doctors are willing to relax, we ought to continue to pray for this young woman that, that she recover. Um, details had, had not yet fully settled, and it seemed like everybody was grasping for an explanation of, of why. And every year, as 9-11 rolls around, it seems like we open up the question of, of why. People ask, how did this happen when suffering occurs? People say, why did this happen? Where was God? And how do we think about suffering? So I think it's important to look into the text and to ask the question, what does God think and feel and say about the subject of suffering? Uh, 9-11 was intensely personal for Nancy and I. Uh, We grew up in New Jersey. We grew up uh, nine or ten airline miles from New York City. You could see in, in uh, in, in the right place with the right weather conditions, you could see the Twin Towers from the town where we lived. Um, coming right over the, the right hill. Is that uh, 
Stuyvesant Avenue. Boxhall Road is another place. You could just you could see in certain places as you came around a bend or around a hill. There was New York City skyline in the in the Twin Towers. Um, and, and so on that day, as as the towers burned, there was a an intense sense of, of who do we know who's there and who is safe and uh, and and what is going on. Um, I'm very thankful for uh, for the dean of students at, at my seminary. Dr. Beyer, who uh, as, as Tower 2 began to collapse and the, um, the news feed went off in, uh, in our chapel at uh, Columbia International University, Dr. Beyer had the uh, authority to address the student, bodies at, the student body at that point and the responsibility to, and he got up and uh, opening his Bible, read a few passages, passages of Scripture. I've, I've learned by now that um, that is a, a strategy which pastors will employ to buy themselves some time while they put their thoughts together. It's also a good practice just to steady uh, people on God's Word. But the burden of what he said next over about the next five minutes was that God is in control. And that God is good. And no matter what happens, and no matter what we think or how scared we are, God is in control and God is good. And that from that perspective, everything would be okay. I send him an email every year on 9-11 thanking him for the blessing of steadying words in the middle of a time of, of great panic and upheaval. We ought to turn to the words of God and to what we know in the middle of times of great upheaval. We, we have become, I believe, in part, a culture that, that talks away its problems. I think humans have always done this, but we, we particularly in the age of the Internet have become a group of people who, who or at least there is a segment of our population that logs on to the Internet for catharsis and says things and posts things and shares things to, to, to come to grips with the reality of what has happened. Unless we root our answers in Scripture, though, we ultimately will just be speculating about why terrible things happen and what the point is and what we ought to learn and what we ought to do. And so my, my hope, my burden this morning is to center us on Scripture, on the words of our Lord, and to get His perspective. Now, if, if you've been at Harvest for any length of time, you'll recall two years ago on this day, uh, I shared quite a similar message. Um, but God's Word grows in us and changes us and challenges us. So I want to I revisit this because there is always something more to be said. A terrible thing happened. Uh, some Men were in the temple, men from Galilee, and they were worshiping. They were offering sacrifices. This is verse 1 of Luke chapter 13. They, they were performing their religious obligation. And Pilate, who had an issue, Pilate is the governor of Jerusalem at this time. He had some problems with these men. We're not sure what they are. But he sent Roman soldiers into the temple to execute these men because he knew that they were there at that point and the scriptures say here that their blood had mixed with their sacrifices. This is a particularly offensive tragedy. This is a horrible thing that has happened. And the reporters come to Jesus and it says that they, that they tell him that this thing has happened. We don't, we don't know who is reporting this. We don't know if this is people fishing for a political answer from Jesus or if they're asking about uh, a theological question or if this is family that's asking for, uh, for advice or for, for counsel from Jesus in a time of grief. We're not sure, but they, but they bring up this question or they bring up the, the issue. They say, Jesus, what are your thoughts about these, these men, about this situation, this terrible thing that has happened? And instead of addressing the role of the state and addressing things politically, or instead of uh, addressing this family's grief, if that's the case, Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter. And he says this in verse 2, Do you suppose that these 
Galileans that these men were greater sinners than all the other people that lived in Galilee because they suffered this fate? Was there some particular wickedness in these people that brought this suffering upon them? Were their sins worse than those of others? Did they sin terribly and therefore suffer terribly? Is this repayment on that region for regional sins? Is God capricious in setting up these kinds of judgments on people? Is, is that why this suffering takes place? Another thing that I think that Jesus could be asking as these people consider what, what has happened to these men who've, who've died while offering their sacrifices, Jesus could be asking or addressing their own fears and saying, do you think that because you are a better Christian or a better Jew, do you think that because of your particular religious devotion that you will somehow avoid this kind of fate? That God will somehow spare you from this kind of suffering or any kind of suffering because you are less of a sinner perhaps than these people. He sets things up by asking this question. Isn't, isn't this so often the case as, as tragedy happens? We say, we say, why has this bad thing happened to these people? Why has this suffering come to pass? Why, why this difficulty? And then, if we're honest, maybe we've, we, we conceal this question in our own hearts because we don't want to ask it. We say, will that sort of thing happen to me? Does my... Does my being a Christian or, or, or being a, a member of a church or serving in ministry or being a missionary or being a pastor or, or being any of the things that I am, will, will Jesus, will God spare me from this because of, of who I am? Jesus says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I think this is one of the scriptures where Jesus speaks most expansively on the subject of human suffering and one that we ought to be well acquainted with. Jesus' response to them in, in the light of their question about suffering is this. Life is dangerous. We, we, we like to look out at the world and, and look at what is from a local perspective, an adequate law enforcement agency. We, we look at our, our nation. We've got the most advanced military in the world. We've got uh, a legal system that, though it has some, some difficulties and struggles, uh, it, is, it is one of the best in the world, I believe. But these are not guarantees against the fact that life is dangerous and against the reality that crimes and difficulties occur. But let me point out first that Jesus' response is not one of insensitivity here. Uh, Jesus is not just saying, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. He's not being crass. He's not turning this news event into an opportunity just to express some kind of uh, uh, repent theology. He's not like, oh, you think what happened to them is bad? Unless you repent, something bad like that is going to happen to you too. That's not his focus. He's saying, you think that, that somehow what happened to these folks you think that that's somehow, because of, of the manner of their demise, you think that, 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 that that's bad. You, you think that's, that's bad, but the truth is that all people, everyone, we're all heading to the same place. And humans created in the image of God, were not designed to die and be separated from God. We were created in the image of God, created to be in relationship with God, and death has entered the world because of human sin and human disobedience, and all of humanity is heading towards judgment, separated from God, separated from the life 
of God with guilt for our sins on us. Is, are these people worse than other people because this happened to them? No, all of humanity is heading towards the greater tragedy of death and separation from God. Jesus is not being insensitive here. He cares deeply about people. Remember that he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He wept at Lazarus' grave as he saw the tragedy of death. He thought about the coming destruction of Jerusalem and he said, Woe to those who are nursing in that day. It will be difficult for them to flee. He, he noticed little old ladies putting all that they had in the offering, and he, and he pointed out their greater, greater sacrifice. Jesus is compassionate. His response to tragedy is one of compassion. He cuts to the heart of the issue and speaks to the need of the people. Their, their primary need is not to know precisely what happened in the lives of these people who suffered this tragedy. That's, that's not their greatest need. Their greatest need is their response to their own fate. Giving a compassionate response to those who were suffering here, Jesus leaves judgment in this particular case to God the Father, and points out the need of the people in front of him. In the case of the violence which entered or erupted in our town on Tuesday night, let me just say this. Let's be compassionate here and leave judgment to God. Uh, there, are, there are families involved. There are many people in this church who, who've spoken to me about their, their knowledge of the people involved in the situation. Um, I think about the family of this noble young man. Uh, the Bible says, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And, and yes, this is speaking of the sacrifice of Christ, but I, I think that it speaks to the human reality that there, there is no greater service that you can offer to another than to give your life for theirs. And, and so this man and his family ought to experience and receive our greatest compassion. But there is the, the tired family of this young woman who are troubled and racked with anxiety and grief. And she, in her trauma, we ought to express our compassion there as well. There is also another family, the shamed and guilt-racked family of this young man who was the perpetrator and we ought to expend, extend compassion and grace to them as well. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, never avenge your own selves. Leave it to the judgment of God. Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. That means that we as people can be free knowing that God will do what is right in this situation and that he has entrusted governing authority to the government that as law enforcement investigates and seeks to deal with this tragedy, we can respond as humans are supposed to with compassion. And so we ought to respond to all involved with love sharing the gospel, serving, supporting, and caring. There are, there are vicious people in the world. And we ought to expect that this story, that this event, which in some sense is repeated over and over again in different places in this country every day, the reason that we are so sensitized to this is, is because it's close and because there's personal connections. It was amazing to me how this unfolded, how, how as the report came out, I was able to punch names into Facebook and see pictures and, and, and know what was, what was going on. These kinds of things happen every day. We ought to realize and embrace, even tragically, the fact that there are vicious people in the world. 
people say, where is God when something like this happens? Crimes don't happen. People commit crimes. Evil people with evil ideas act on them. And we don't know if we'll be the victim of a vicious crime or not. We ought to, in light of the uncertainty that comes from life, be ready to meet God because the end comes for all. And we might be the next victim. And it's important to point that out, to lay that out there, because that was Jesus' perspective as people came to him and said, interpret this event for us. He said the tragedy here is that people went to meet their maker. They weren't worse than you. Unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. Where does pain in the world come from? Uh, One of my professors, Dr. McKechnie, shared with us seven kinds of pain, seven sources of pain in the world. And I think that in any situation, we cannot just simply blame something on one factor. We need to analyze the whole thing and say, where is the pain coming from? Because where the pain comes from determines what can be fixed and what cannot be fixed, what can be controlled and what can not be controlled. Seven sources of pain. The first is that pain is a part of this world. We live in a fallen world. Genesis 3 points out that there is difficulty in the world, that the world is under a curse and that thorns, thistles, flies, human physical decay, all of this comes from the fact that the world is fallen and in some sense is at odds with God. And so we ought to expect pain and difficulty in this life. The second kind of pain is self-inflicted pain. Why do certain kinds of pain come upon us? We do dumb stuff. I was out in my yard yesterday, and I'm, I'm sawing with my sawzall, trimming back some trees. Uh, the, the certified arborists in the room will be saying, we can, we can see something bad is going to happen even now. And uh, the sawzall is such a wonderful tool, reciprocating blade mounted on the end of a, of a high-powered motor. You pull that trigger as, as fast as, you know, as, as hard as you can, and this thing just cooks. I mean, it goes through everything like butter if the, the, the blade is sharp. And I'm just like cutting branches like this, right? You know, cut, cut, and then I'm cutting like this, right? And I cut, and the... <laughs> The branch that's right above me lands on my head, and I'm like, you know, moving saw blade, you know, like it's above me, and I'm like, ah, you know, and I'm there, and none of, nobody in my family saw me, so now I'm telling everyone I know, um, and, I'm, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, wow, I know exactly how that happened. So much of our pain we want to deflect and we want to put on to, to other people. We want to put it on to, to different kinds of, of, of causes. But so much of our pain is self-inflicted. Situations that we create for ourselves. And the blame ought to be placed firmly on ourselves. That might be embarrassing. That might be difficult for us. But unless we, we put the pain in the right place, we, we will not acknowledge the, the proper solution. Pain is a part of this world. We inflict pain on ourselves. There's also pain that comes to us from others. While I believe we have overdone it in our culture by declaring or claiming victim status, we do at times, fall victim. There is pain in our lives that we are simply not responsible for. Someone has brought this into our lives, whether it's it's by a crime or or by their, their words or by their actions. They hurt us. Many times, we respond wrongly to that, and in seeking to defend ourselves from pain from others, we inflict pain on them. No one wants to be taken advantage of. No one enjoys being a victim. Pain comes from others. 
and enters into our lives and disturbs us. There's pain that we inflict on others. Many times, uh, the pain that hurts us, which is self-inflicted, many times we, we are just going along, living our own lives, and we do something dumb, but it results in someone else being hurt. Something that we say wounds someone deeply. In a moment of anger, we mistreat someone. In order to fit in, we mock someone. In a moment of rage, we hurt someone. And we cause pain. Ever say something to someone that you love, that you knew would hurt them, and you said it because you knew it would hurt? We leave a, a path of, of pain behind us as we go through life. And all we can do is repent and ask for forgiveness. Category of pain number five is what I call the fifth spiritual law. If you're familiar with the four spiritual laws, you know that the first one is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The fifth spiritual law is this. Satan hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. So often we reduce things down to uh, either the, the person themselves or their environment. And we fail to realize that we're not just dealing with the world, the world system that's fallen, and we're not just dealing with the individual who, who commits wrong, but we are also dealing with a spiritual battle. There is an enemy that is alive in the world, and he desires that we doubt God, that we be miserable, and that we choose to trust in ourselves and not in the promises of God. Ephesians 6, 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil longs for us to doubt God's word, to doubt his promises, to look out at the world and say, I understand what the Bible says, I'm hearing it, and, and, and yeah, I believe it, but look at what's going on out here. That, when we say those kinds of things, the devil has won and enabled us or, or encouraged us to turn away from God's word in faith and to trust in what we see before our eyes. The devil is a bully, and he bullies us that we would break down in despair and doubt God's word. He takes advantage of the pain of the fallen world, the pain that we inflict on ourselves, the pain that we receive from others, and the pain that we inflict on others, and he twists it all into a grand deception that causes us to look at God and say, where is God? Why isn't he doing something about all of this pain? The sixth kind of pain is the pain of discipline. There is pain which is inflicted by God. There is judgment that comes from God into our lives. And it does not feel good. Many times we are suffering because of the love of God. Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We have to acknowledge that when pain comes into our lives, sometimes it is God, what seems harsh to us, what seems over much, what seems too difficult, it is God shouting at us that we ought to change the course of our life, change our behavior, change our desires, change our way of thinking, that, that we ought to submit to him because the direction in which we are heading is not good. The thumb of God crushing us to the ground that we might change direction. The devil would have us believe that all pain in our life is a result of the discipline of God and not that it is discipline, that, that, that it, is, it is purposeful pain brought into our lives in order to produce that peaceful fruit of righteousness, but that God is just indifferent to us and allowing us to suffer. 
and that if we pray more that that pain will go away or that if we, if we pray that somehow that, 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 that God will, will come through and answer and that all difficulties will go away. The truth is that there is pain in our lives that is purposeful from God in order to, to change our course and direction and then there is pain in our lives that, that God sees with sadness and though he can intervene, he does not because it is his desire that we would look from that pain and look to him in dependence. God does not love us sufficiently if he gives us the answer to each and every prayer. Because there are some things in this world that cannot be fixed with an Advil. What we need most is constant, continuous dependence on God. For, for God to answer our prayers for safety and for peace of mind in so many situations would be to remove the natural fear and anxiety that we feel, which is good in the face of the fact that we live in a fallen world and that there are wicked people who wish violence on us. We ought to maintain a certain sense of anxiety and difficulty knowing that there's trouble in the world. And, and we're foolish to think that anything other than the redemption of the whole creation by God will be a sufficient remedy. So often, the prayers that we pray for safety and security and health are so that we can get out of the, the pit that we're in And go on with our lives forgetting that God is there. And if he answers our prayer and we move from dependence to independence, we will forget that he's there. So often the lesson that he's teaching us is the lesson that Paul learned. Paul prayed three times that God would remove the, the thorn in his flesh. And God said, no, no, no. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. So often, we just need to depend. Seven kinds of pain, one more. Pain is a part of this world. There's self-inflicted pain. There's pain from others. There's the pain that we inflict on others. There's the fact that Satan hates us and desires us to doubt God. There is the pain of discipline. And finally, there is pain in general. Come back again to the first category. I emphasize this twice because I truly believe that though there is something to be learned from flat tires and paper cuts, there is, there is a sense in which we can overdo it. And, and we can say, what, what is God trying to teach me from this flat tire here? Why is, he, why is he doing this? Is there some grand cosmic scheme? I truly believe that there are flat tires and paper cuts and difficulties that happen just because we live in a fallen world. And that there is no sense in seeking a grand answer for why this happened. We experience pain in our lives because we are separated from God. And when God redeems all things and all of the pains of life go away from birth of birth pain, gas pain, hunger pain, teething pain, growing pain. I'm, I'm, I'm currently experiencing hair loss pain, the, the, the pain of losing others, the pain of, of tragedy that suddenly comes upon us. There are all kinds of difficulty and suffering that we encounter. And we say, why to God? And so often, there is no answer. One of the, the phrases that I'll often say to Nancy, as we're talking about some difficulty that's entered people's lives or some tragedy, I'll say, maybe one of the thousand reasons this happened is because of, of this. So often we just, we want to reduce it to something, something small. We just want to say, oh, oh, God's trying to teach this person this. Well, the reason, the reason difficulty enters some people's lives is not just one reason. There's something 
there's something that we who are looking on can learn and something that, that those who are close around that person can learn. They, they see a way in which they can react and there are, there are a thousand lessons that come out of the pain and difficulty that I've experienced in my life at different times. And, and to reduce it just to one reason is overly simplistic. We suffer in this life and suffering enters into this life. We should not be foolish and say foolish things quickly when difficulty enters this world, when tragedy occurs, because we reduce it. We're quick to say, this is why this happened, in some sense because we have a a desire to cope without dependence on God. That's foolish. We ought to say instead what Jesus says. In each and every situation, we ought to trust in Christ. Because no matter the pain or the difficulty, God is a merciful forgiver to all if we repent. He is good. And we can, in the face of tragedy, say, God is here, God cares. God forgives, God sustains, God heals, God grieves over this situation. And that he desires in each and every case, whoever we are, in whatever difficult suffering situation, that God's desire is that we would say, help me, save me, sustain me, forgive me. Does God sit up in heaven and throw thunderbolts of pain and suffering down, destroying the wicked that he might torment them forever? The answer, I believe, is no. God speaks in the scriptures. Ezekiel 18, I said these, shared these verses last week. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? God desires that humans repent. Not that he have an opportunity to judge them and punish them. Ezekiel 33, 11, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, is God alive? He is swearing an oath by himself here. As I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? God calls in each and every situation, not that we say, I'm so glad that didn't happen to me, but that we say life is difficult and painful. And it is this way because humans turned away from God and have forgotten God each and every opportunity, and we ought to repent and ask for grace in each situation. Jesus takes it a step further, and I'm going to move through this quickly because it is very, very similar to all the things I've just said. Jesus takes it a step further and said that, speaking of a situation that he knows of in verse 4, do you suppose that the 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Jesus brings up this tragedy. A tower had given way. This is an engineering fault or just an old unmaintained building and 18 people died were they greater sinners than others who needed punishing jesus says pardon me i tell you no but unless you repent you will all likewise perish life is dangerous and we ought not be surprised when there are hurricanes or tsunamis or accidents that happen sometimes there is no one to blame And we just need to be still and know that he is God and know that he is good. And when people say, how did this happen? We share the gospel. Jesus' attitude is not on why these things happen, but on what it should mean to us, what we ought to think. He tells us we should be ready to meet God. The good news of the gospel is this. 
that though each and every human being is cut off from God by his or her own sins, that God is willing to give us the righteousness of his son Christ, the righteousness that satisfies wrath. If we ask him for it, God will credit the sins of the whole world that he put on Christ when he crushed him on the cross. He will give us that righteousness. Not that it is our own righteousness, but that we receive it from God. We receive righteousness that we need from him. That we might be free from our sins. He cancels out our sin and gives us his righteousness. So that when we meet God, we will one day, whether we expire in our beds or we are the victim of violence... When the end comes and we stand before God, we will be, as we sang earlier, faultless, standing before the throne. In just a few moments, some lessons from suffering. Uh, In some sense, uh, lessons from suffering. One is this, anything can happen. We, We acknowledge this is in the scriptures, but we, we don't often say it. Or, or we say it, but we don't, we don't feel the full force of it. James 4, 14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Life is short and dangerous. People say to me, you know, I'm like, oh, my kids have just, my kids have just celebrated birthdays or they see me playing with my youngest and they say things like, they grow up so fast, don't, don't, don't miss it. Don't get old. Stop and smell the roses. But, 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 but life just races forward and anything can happen. When circumstances and current events and tragedies, which are real difficulties, enter our lives, we ought to acknowledge that each and every moment is a gift and live appropriately, acknowledging the grace of God. Ephesians 5.15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Tragedy wakes us up. This is a lesson for us, not for those in the midst of suffering. We, we ought to look in from the outside and say, we see that God has shaken things up. He is kind. He holds out mercy to us and urges us to repent. I think there's one last lesson. I wonder how many tragedies have been spared because people cared enough to engage lostness and share the gospel and turn sinners with, with whatever degree that, that their sharing changes what, what could have happened, how, how many sharings of the gospel have averted tragedy? How many people whose passions were out of control have been turned by the gospel? Because someone cared enough to share the gospel, someone chose not to do something wicked. Someone chose not to embrace the utter despair that comes upon them because of suffering. And so I think one of the the lessons that we can learn in each and every suffering that occurs is that we ought to engage lostness. We ought to share the gospel in in a compassionate and caring way. We ought not to say, this is the judgment of God because we're a wicked country in the the midst of of an unraveling situation. We ought to say, God is good and can be trusted. And share with grace and kindness, leaving judgment to God. I pray that as I've I've spoken about this this morning, that uh, if there's anything that is, is too harsh in the light of, of the relationships that exist in this church, with people involved, I pray that, that God would take that away. I pray that, that we would be confident, though, to, to stand in the face of suffering, whether it's local and personal suffering, or whether it is global difficulty, that, that we would be able to say, God is good all the time, even in the midst of, of local 
a national tragedy that we would be able to say, he is good. He is good despite what overcomes us. We would have, have the ability to say that with confidence. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for this young woman who, despite the tragedy that has overtaken her, uh, she is holding on, Lord. We pray for her recovery. We pray for the family of this young man and for all who know him, this man who sacrificed himself for her, Lord, we pray for his family, that you would comfort them in their grief. There are no easy answers to why this happened. We pray that you would comfort them with the gospel. Father, we pray for the family, the parents, uh, the relatives of this, this young man who committed this crime and then shot himself. Lord, we pray your grace on them and that in the years and weeks to come, they will come to know you in a greater way. Father, I pray for each of us that, that we would not see all of the tragedies and sufferings before us as something that we are detached from or as, as something that you are detached from, something that is beyond your power, something that's beyond your control. Lord, you are in control of all things. But you have set life up to work in a particular way and our ancestors, our first parents, Leaving you behind has set life in a particular course and in a particular way. And you are redeeming things, working through the gospel, Lord. We pray that, that we would hold this truth close. That we would see tragedy and we would thank you for your grace. That we would thank you that we do not receive all the judgment that we deserve the moment that we do something wrong. That we, would, we would thank you for the righteousness that comes from Christ. And that we would celebrate your redemption of all things. One day there will be a world in which there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt, no more violence. In the light of difficulty and suffering, we say, make it so. Your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your kindness and grace. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.